And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he's known as mild-mannered TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. and welcome to the 64th episode of Charlie's Geek Cast. I am your host, Charlie Niemer, and today we are looking at two, count them, two issues of Action Comics, number 552 and 553. So, we're going to play a quick promo, and by we, I mean I, and I'll be right back with our first issue. Charlie's Geek Cast will return after these promos. Dr. Fate. Dr. Midnight. Starman. Johnny Quick. Wildcat. Power Girl. The All-Star Squadron. Firebrand. Amazing Man. Huntress. Cyclone. Sandman. Mr. Terrific. Star Commander Steel. Seven Soldiers of Liberty. Liberty. Infinity Incorporated. Those are just some of the celebrated and beloved heroes associated with Earth 2 and the Justice Society of America. These daring mystery men and women banded together in 1940 to form the first super team in comics. They inspired a decades-long legacy of heroes who would follow in their footsteps. And now they've inspired us to launch a new podcast. Justice Society presents a new anthology on the Fire & Water Podcast Network featuring a variety of themed shows with different hosts celebrating some of their favorite comics and characters associated with the golden age of comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. We'll launch this new series with an ongoing show called Justice Society Presents Crisis, in which Rob and Shag go through each of the classic team-ups between the Justice League and the Justice Society. Then joining the podcast feed will be the Starman Chronicles. Chris and Cindy continue their coverage of James Robinson's epic series from beginning to end. Later in the year, Ryan Daly and Max Romero will tackle the Vertigo title, Sandman Mystery Theater. And two years later, Ryan will cancel it. That's probably... Then in the coming months and years, we'll be adding further ongoing shows and one-off specials celebrating other beloved characters and comics related to the JSA of any era, from the 1940s to today. Join the fight for justice and subscribe to Justice Society Presents on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. The Too Old, Too New Podcast, a show dedicated to reviewing books from the bins and recent reads. I'm Bill. And I'm Seth. Be sure to listen to us on our Too Old, Too New Comic Book Podcast, where we talk about two old comic books and two new comic books every episode. Comic book fans don't miss out. Too Old, Too New is available on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. All right, our first issue is Action Comics number 552 with a cover date of February 1984. It had an on-sale date of November 22nd, 1983, roughly almost Thanksgiving time, at a cover price of 75 cents. This is actually a pretty dynamic cover by Gil Kane, showing Superman being attacked by some kind of strange gray plant. And Poison Ivy is nowhere in sight. Uh, Unfortunately, the design of the rest of the cover leaves something to be desired. See... We have all these guest heroes, the Forgotten Heroes, uh, and they're mentioned on the cover blurb. In fact, they're listed. Uh, 
But mo- some of them are actually not on the cover at all. Maybe they're hidden under the UPC, but I don't see some of these at all. And of the ones we do see, most of them are actually looking away from us, looking at Superman. So you really don't see them. And in the background, we see Animal Man, and it looks like he's punching something. And it took me a minute to realize that he's inside of a large, clear sphere. Maybe that could have been helped by the colorist. Uh, So I guess I can't blame Kane for that one, but it, it, it is kind of weird it took me a minute to be like what the heck is he punching and what is he hitting with his punches i will say though that it does grab the eye i mean it would stand out on the uh newsstand rack the title of the story is another time another death written by marv wolfman art by gil kane lettered by ben oda colored by anthony tollin and edited 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 by julie schwartz superman created by jerry siegel and joe schuster We begin our story in Suicide Slum, not its first appearance in the pre-crisis, but it's a pretty rare one. A building has collapsed, which would have killed about two dozen people had it not been for the timely intervention of one Superman. He's holding up the rubble so people can be rescued, and once that's accomplished, he hurls the debris high in the air, using his heat vision to melt it into one giant chunk, which soon lands near a village in the Philippines, which is a good toss and great aim. Uh, which coincidentally is about to be deluged by an overflowing river. With the new dam in place, Superman examines the site of the collapse, which which appears to have been caused by some sort of prehistoric-looking roots. He takes a chunk of one of the roots back to the fortress for examination, but he's also being observed by Vandal Savage, happy that his current plan is proceeding along as expected. Meanwhile, in a mountain on the west coast, A group of people meet each other for the first time. All of them have something in common, and we will soon spend a good chunk of this issue learning just what that is. Cave Carson, the Sea Devils, Dolphin, Rick Flagg and his Suicide Squad, Animal Man, and Congo Bill all recently discovered these weird golden temples in various countries around the world, only to then be taken by whatever the local government was and questioned. As a result, the Suicide Squad's been disbanded, Animal Man and Congo Bill have both lost their passports as well. But the strangest story belongs to Rip Hunter. He and his crew were using his time sphere to go back to the dawn of time because he really wanted to do that so we could finally put it to rest. Is science correct and it was a big bang? Was religion correct and it was a, it was God forming the everything? What was it? So he was finally going to answer things. However, because it's the dawn of time and they can't answer that in a comic book because Marv Wolfman really honestly doesn't know the answer to that anyway. They were stopped by a golden temple at the dawn of time. They lost consciousness due to the forces of, at work, and when they came to, they were right back where they started, which apparently is supposed to be impossible, but I don't know why. Only they'd all aged into their 80s. Now, there were various different ages. He said that they're in their 80s, so I guess she aged up to catch up with them i'm not sure how that works they didn't explain it they didn't go into detail anyway rip is then about to introduce everyone to the man who brought them all together when we cut to the daily planet in metropolis where clark has a little chat with lois after bringing us up to speed on the fact that clark is currently dating lana lois is upset to learn that superman's rescue of suicide slum knocked her skating rink expose off the front page which is pretty amazing when you think of how big the front page is i mean maybe she could have been below the fold but still Anyway, she then invites Clark to her place for dinner, 
but Clark has to decline because he has a date with Lana. While Lois responds to this by grinding her teeth, we switch to Abraxas, where Savage initiates Operation Creation. Soon in Metropolis, jets of molten lava, suspiciously colored white, which is confusing, shoot up from the ground. As you might imagine, this causes quite a bit of a panic in Metropolis Park, which is noticed by a certain man of steel who apparently is already in the storeroom. I guess he was planning to go out. So after cooling off the lava with some super breath, he heads down to the Earth's core. Oh, by the way, I should mention he did change clothes. He is in a Superman costume. Uh, he heads down to the Earth's core. Somehow, Vandal Savage is able to watch this as if he were watching an old episode of the Superman show. And we learn that he sprayed Superman with biotechnic cultures the very first time they met at Abraxas. And now it's finally time for them to take root and be activated. Meanwhile, underneath Metropolis, Superman sees a golden temple that he's never noticed in all the times he's bored under the city. Which makes you wonder how sturdy the foundations of the city are at this point, considering how long he's been operating in Metropolis. Anyway, before he could do much to investigate the temple, he's hit by a wave of sound that he can't block, and it's causing him a great deal of pain. To make matters worse, Savage's cultures begin activating, enveloping Superman in prehistoric pant... pant life? Mm -hmm. Enveloping Superman in prehistoric plant life, and quickly thrusting him up into the sky above Metropolis. Superman breaks free from the plant, only to learn that he's inside a force field that he's having trouble breaking through. Outside of the barrier, Lois and Jimmy have arrived on the scene and are not only worried about what's going on inside the bubble, but have also noticed that the plant life and the barrier are expanding. On that cliffhanger, we return to the West Coast where the Forgotten Heroes meet Immortal Man. He's gathered them all together to face the danger striking Metropolis, even if it means killing Superman. That's two cliffhangers. That's pretty cool. So this issue is a bit weird, though, in that some of it was rather fun and some of it's a bit of a slog. For me, the slog part was the part with the Forgotten Heroes finding the temples, which is really unfortunate because of how important the temples are to this story and the one coming up with the next couple issues. But you really, so you really can't just skip that part. But I found it really hard to get through without losing interest. I think part of that is just because the A plot in Metropolis was so intriguing to me and then switching to the b plot it's like having a commercial break and, and you know commercial breaks are for getting up and going to the bathroom or getting a drink or something so or fast forwarding if you have it recorded so i just couldn't wait get, to get back to the a plot and it just seemed to drag on waiting to get away from these darn temples and back to the city with what's going on with superman and all that Another reason is that I personally am not a big fan of most of these heroes. I'm not really a familiar with most of them either, hence the forgotten part. Uh, now, Dolphin I kind of know from her time in the Aquaman book in the 90s. Animal Man I've read a bit, but he's only had a, got a small part in this issue. Uh, the others I've just never been able to get into for one reason or another. They don't even have costumes, you know? Uh, I think that's part of it. Uh, they're from that time where in between... Super, superheroes dying out from the end of the World War II and starting up again at the end, at the beginning of the Silver Age. So you had that, I guess they call it the Atomic Age. And that's kind of where these guys are from. And it's just, I mean, they're written more modern, of course, here, but it's just not my bag, as they used to say, my cup of tea, as they also say. 
Uh, now, Immortal Man I have seen in Zero Hour, although he didn't look anything like this guy. And that intrigued me a bit, but I'll have I'll talk more about that next time. And that next issue kind of explains why they he looks so different. Uh, as for the art, I swear to you that it looks like Joe Kubert came in and helped with some of the background characters, uh, especially the government agents that are questioning Dolphin on page eleven. And speaking of that page, there's also an image um, in the second panel of whichever member of the Sea Devils is talking to the doll to the Dolphin. Wow, is talking to Dolphin. Uh, I, I, it's a completely different style. It almost looks like it was actually maybe copied or taken from one of those old fifties comics. It, it doesn't look anything like Gil Kane draws nothing. It's that more simplistic crisper, I guess you could call it for lack of a better term, cleaner style rather than having the little shadow lines. And I don't know how to explain it. But it's not Kane's normal style. It, it, and it's just for this one face in this one panel on this one page of this book. So, And, and when we see the character again, he looks more Kane-ish. It could be an homage. Could be a copy, like I said. I don't know. But I will tell you that the two cliffhangers definitely made me want to read the next issue. And since I couldn't wait, I'm going to be really nice and not make you wait either. So... After a quick break, where we're going to listen to the current number one song, which is Say, Say, Say by Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson, I'll be right back with part two. I'll see you in a bit. Charlie's GeekCast will return after these promos. Did you know that Michael Bailey hosts a podcast? Yeah, I host or co-host a number of podcasts, actually. Did you know that Michael Bailey releases his podcasts through the dark web? Now, that's not true at all. I release my shows on the regular internet. I don't even know how to get to the dark web. Did you know that Michael's financing comes from shady donors who make up a cabal of people that like to kick puppies and kittens? What are you talking about? I'm pretty much self-financed outside of a modest Patreon that I produce no extra content Did for. you know that Michael Bailey supports free podcasts for everyone and also works on his shows? with potential foreign spies and anarchists? Of course I support free podcasts for everyone. And Andy isn't a spy of any kind. Bethany and Allison are hardly anarchists. And Jeff... Okay, you may have me there. Jeff is a little out there. Why would you support such a man by listening to his podcast? All right, that's enough of that. Can we, can we get rid of Creepy Voice Guy? He, he's not working out. He really just isn't. You can't get rid of me that easily. I'm a scary voice that is meant to frighten people into... Okay, okay, that's that's better. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I run the Fortress of Baileytude Podcasting Network. 
The Fortress is a collection of podcasts that I either host or co-host, all housed in a single place to make things easier on me. The shows in the network include From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which I host with Jeffrey Taylor, and is all about the Superman books published between 1986 and 2006. The Overlooked Dark Knight, a non-index index show, which is a Batman podcast that is about Batman stories hardly anyone talks about that I host with Andrew Leyland. Views from the Long Box, my comics-centric podcast that has been online since 2007. And the newest show on the network, The Superman and Lois Tapes, which I host with Allison and Bethany and is all about the CW series Superman and Lois. The network can be found at www.fortressofbailytude.com which also houses one of the web's largest repositories of information on the death and return of Superman from 1992 and 1993. You can subscribe to any of these programs through Apple Podcasts slash iTunes or through your favorite podcatcher, either a la carte or through the Master Feed, which has all of the episodes of all of the shows. The Fortress and its shows are also on Spotify, if you're into that sort of thing. The Fortress of Baileytude Podcasting Network. Doing my best to relieve boredom since 2007. The music on this trailer, Delay Rock, and Political Action Ad are by Kevin McLeod and are used under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Did you know? Oh, shut up! We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. Alright, our second issue was Action Comics number 553, which had a cover date of March 1984. And an on-sale date of December 29th, 1983. So, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you all. And it had a cover price of 75 cents. Now, this cover is not quite as cool as last issue. But Gil Kane does his best to make it exciting. We have Superman flying at us while the other heroes are running at us. They're all coming right at us. Other than Animal Man's arms looking a little wonky, I mean, the left one looks like it's way too long and there's an extra joint in it or something. And the other one, I can tell that it's supposed to be back, but it looks like it's a stub. Uh, everyone looks really, well, actually, put, everyone actually looks pretty good on here. And the background is, ma- is it's, I wouldn't say simple. It looks like it's made up of energy. There's like swirling energy and like this, it's almost a X or a cross. A blast of energy in a different color. It makes it look like they're all being shot at us. I would imagine this would also grab your eye, if nothing, if not just for the, all the light on it. But uh, it's very colorful, and I, I think it looks nice. I mean, it's not his best cover, but it, it, it definitely would get you wanting to at least check out the issue. Until you saw that it was Forgotten Heroes, and you're like, "Who are they?" And then you put it back. Anyway. The title of the story is The World at Time's End, written by Marv Wolfman, art by Gil Kane, letters by Ben Oda, colors by Tony Tallon, and edits by Julie Schwartz, Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. After a quick recap by Savage to remind us of what he's done to Superman up to this point, and the trouble going on in Metropolis, we switch to the Forgotten Heroes, who are quite shocked by Immortal Man's insinuation. See, they know Superman's character, a few have even worked with him in the past, and they know he's no villain. After explaining that the Man of Steel isn't causing these troubles intentionally, Immortal Man decides that this would be a good time to tell his origin, because, you know, why not? I mean, it's not like the Earth is in danger. So, for those of you that don't know, Immortal Man used to be a caveman, much like Vandal Savage was. In fact, they were enemies. They'd fought many times, and Vandal Savage had killed many of his men. 
But as they were about to begin their final battle, a mysterious fireball interrupted everything. And while Savage was hit by the fireball's radiation directly, and thereby becoming immortal, the Immortal Man actually found a jewel in the fireball, believe it or not. He actually was able to reach into the fireball. It's a fireball. He reached into it and pulled the jewel out. And this jewel has also kind of made him immortal in a way. While Savage just never dies, the Immortal Man basically became like the Doctor from Doctor Who. He could be killed, but whenever that happens, he comes back reborn as someone else. Different ages. They haven't mentioned. They didn't mention different, you know, changing of the sex. But this is 19, the 1980s. I don't know how much he's been seen since his original run in the probably 50s, 60s, uh, where you know they wouldn't have had him as a woman anyway. Uh, and uh, like I said, I saw him the last time. The only time I ever saw him after this was Zero Hour, and he was a dude. I don't know, but apparently you can be an old man or a kid. It doesn't matter. You will be. He keeps coming back. So, all this time, he's been Vandal Savage's greatest enemy throughout history. Now, I know what you're asking, because I was asking this too. Why doesn't he mention coming from Earth 2? There's no mention of that here. Now, I guess maybe Marv just thinks you should figure that out. Or, you know, this was also a time where he was coming up with a crisis because he found that the Earth thing was too confusing for readers. Maybe he was just kind of glossing over that to make it a little easier for the readers. But they don't mention it at all. And I looked up his who's who is entry. His who's who is? His who's who entry. But by that time, the, the, that issue of who's who came out, we were kind of in that ambiguous time of all the Earths kind of being put back together. So they didn't mention anything about whether he was from Earth 2 or Earth 1 and his who's who entry. He doesn't mention at all how he got to Earth 1. Or any of that and it's very confusing to me I'm thinking too much about this so I'm just gonna keep going back to the story he explains the whole deal with the cultures which I'm not sure how he knew about unless he's savages used them before uh, and the heroes all agree to help him meanwhile in Metropolis Superman has busted out of the force field which unfortunately also makes it easier for the plants to escape as well. As the city quickly becomes overrun with prehistoric plant life, the Forgotten Heroes contact Superman via telepathy, explain that he's the cause, and have him leave the city. Meanwhile, as the mayor holds a press conference about the plant problem, Savage arrives and provides an alternate explanation for what's happening that makes Superman look extremely bad. See, he explains that basically his scientists had noticed a strange time flux at Metropolis Park, and it was causing time to run backwards. They managed to contain the time reversal in a force field, and could have used it to bring back the dinosaurs and then use their remains after they died to create fossil fuels so that the United States could be energy sufficient again. But Superman destroyed the force field for some reason, and now things are getting worse. While this is enough to cause some people in the crowd to question Superman's motives, we switch back to the Forgotten Heroes, where Immortal Man sends them out to save the day. Not sure how they do it, but get, bear with me. We then switch to Superman, who has flown out to the sun in an attempt to burn off all the spores from his body. Back on Earth, the Forgotten Heroes appear to break into various temples to access the computers inside so they can learn what Savage is planning to do with them. At least I think that's what they're doing. See, we start off with one of the sea devils and dolphin, but they never actually get to a temple. Congo Bill 
changes to Kong Gorilla to get inside a temple, but then you just, you just see him stop and admire the technology. Rick Flagg enters the temple, fights off a dinosaur, and then enters the main complex, but we don't see what he does. We see Animal Man actually access the computer of his temple, and then everyone, and then we reconvene with everyone back at their base at the, on the West Coast. Somehow they do this very fast because it's still, I guess, the same day and Superman just arrives back from the sun. And we know he can travel fast. It's not like a day's journey. Anyway, by this point, Superman has returned to Metropolis, where dinosaurs are also starting to cause trouble. So he uses some trees to contain them inside, like, a barrier. And he's once again contacted by the Forgotten Heroes. Once he meets them at their base, they explain to Superman that Strange is somehow planning to use the temples to harness the energies of the Big Bang, and that the only way to stop them, and this prehistoric plague, is to destroy the temple that Rip Hunter saw at the dawn of time. So Superman volunteers to do it, but Hunter and his pals demand to go with him to see if there is a way to cure their aging. So they enter the time sphere, and they head back in time, and I cannot believe I just said that so nonchalantly as though it was like walking across the street. Anyway, just like before, the others lose consciousness before they can get to the temple, so Superman actually exits the time sphere and handles things on his own. But this is the dawn of creation, and the energy and forces at work here cause Superman to strain and fight with every fiber of his being until he flies straight into what I guess are the engines or the computer banks of the temple. The explosion causes a ripple in time, and all of the other temples just disappear from existence. As to the prehistoric plants and the creatures in Metropolis, the Time Sphere returns back to the Forgotten Heroes base, and its occupants have all returned to their proper ages. But Superman is missing. He was subjected to the Big Bang. Could even he have survived that? At the Pentagon, we learned that indeed all of the temples are gone. No one knows why they were there, but due to their alien nature, the governments had united to keep their existence a secret. That's the second story now in Action Comics, where the governments, where governments from other parts of the world are actually working together, which is nice! Anyway, but now that the temples are gone, the president is asking everyone to just forget they ever existed. That's how the story ends. So Superman's gone. No one knows what happened to him. The temples have just disappeared. Now, some outside of some head-scratching bits, this was actually a pretty entertaining story. The action, well, it, being in action, it actually lives up to its title. The action actually keeps going in this one, despite the confusion about the Forgotten Heroes. Uh, Superman dealing with forces that are beyond even him. And Savage continuing to smear Superman and Forgotten Heroes not really doing much. It was mostly entertaining. The art was fairly even throughout. There's some wonkiness in places. But overall, it's pretty good. My question is, what was Vandal Savage going to do with the Big Bang energy? And how did he know enough about the pyramids to pull any of this off? They all seem to have just shown up recently. And were pretty quickly secured by the governments of the world. How did he get his scientists in to study the temples and figure out how to use them in the first place? In my mind, this would be considered a plot hole. I don't know. Now, I know this issue ends on another cliffhanger. But this time, you're going to have to wait until next episode to see what happens next. However, this time we do have a meanwhile column to look at. So, 
Uh, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to play us out with today's number one song, which is... Well, no, actually, it's still Say, 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 so I'm not playing that one. So we're going to do number two, which is Say It Isn't So by Hollow Notes. So we're going to play that, and I'll be right back with the Meanwhile column. Charlie's GeekCast will return after these promos. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year is 1994 or 1944 or maybe 2994. Time is under threat and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis? And how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember Legion. We now return to Charlie's GeekCast. Today's Meanwhile column comes directly from Dick Giordano. Random Thoughts on the Convention Trail, 1983 I like flying. I really do. Providing I'm in an airplane, no matter what the ads say, I really don't believe a man can fly. I hate getting to and from airports, though, and since I'm a bit paranoid about missing flights... I tend to allow a little extra time to get to the airport just in case, and inevitably find myself hanging around for an hour or two before I can board my flight. Today, that's required. Thank God for airport bookstores, coffee shops, and, I guess, cocktail lounges. Getting home after a trip is always a hassle. I live in Connecticut, about 70 miles from New York airports, and whether I have my car or hop in a limo, the ground trip seems to tire me more than the flight. I became more aware of these these attitudes this summer, 
as just about every weekend I traveled to a distant city to attend a comic convention, the most ambitious convention tour ever undertaken by DC and or yours truly, with Sal Amendola, our talent coordinator, for company on every trip, and various other DC luminaries on some of them, we attended conventions in Anaheim, California, New York, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Ottawa, Canada, <laughs> sorry, Ottawaians, Ottawa, Canada, Chicago, Illinois, San Diego, California, Orlando, Florida, still to come are Boston, Hartford, Wichita, and New York again. I missed Houston, though I was scheduled to go, and a small show in the Washington, D.C. area was canceled. I'm writing this a few days before Labor Day with Bob Rosakis and the typesetter hovering anxiously in the background. Copy was due September 1st. Late again. A jumble of fleeting remembrances, impressions, and random thoughts vie for attention. I remember Sal Amendola calling my house from Houston to make sure I was still alive. He'd flown there from Washington, D.C., where he had just completed teaching a week-long seminar on drawing science fiction comics at the Smithsonian Institute. He expected to meet me at the Houston Convention. A rumor spread on the convention floor that I had collapsed, passed out, or had been taken to the hospital in a state of exhaustion. All untrue, of course. But I was tired and not feeling well enough to take the trip. Still, Sal's concern, and the rumor mongers, was touching. The wonderful reception afforded DC's 16mm sound film, which was shown at least once each convention. It's about 10 minutes long, and after a brief retrospective, it outlines all the new and exciting comics coming from DC for the rest of 83 and some of 84. Having Murphing Anderson and Mrs. Murph show up unexpectedly at many of the conventions, Murph has been away from the comics for about 10 years while he handled an immense task producing a monthly preventive maintenance magazine for the U.S. Army. He's finished with that, and his byline and familiar style will be gracing the pages of DC Comics again. Welcome back, Murph. It's okay. Meeting Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel at San Diego. We've met before, of course, and we didn't have much time to talk this time, but it's always good to meet Superman's creators. Chicago and San Diego, which continued to be among the best attended and most organized cons around. Although there was a massive room foul up in Chicago this year, it was the hotel's fault. Lots of pros, lots of fans, and dealers at both. The Ottawa Con held on a modern college campus. We slept in small, clean dorm rooms. Ye gods, no TV? Some pros thought that wasn't sophisticated enough, I guess, and opted for hotel accommodations nearby. Sal and I, the DC contingent, stayed and had fun. Sloshing beer with college guys made me feel young again. Briefly. Talking to so many of our readers and fans about comics in general and DC comics in particular. Most of them thought comics today were more exciting than they've been in years. Wishing I could have talked some more. Grateful to be alive after being attacked, sort of, by about a half dozen crazed DC writers upon my return to the hotel in San Diego. I was coming home from a nice dinner at a Mexican restaurant down the harbor, and these six loonies had concocted an idea for a new maxi-series and were looking for me to approve the idea. They charged at me as I entered the lobby, and in exchange for sparing my life, I gave them the go-ahead. And the DC challenge was born. More on that later. Talking with DC regulars and old friends, Roy Thomas, Jerry Conway, Dan Jurgens, Mark Evanier, Dan Spiegel, Jerry Ordway, Mike Mocklin, Jan Sternad, I guess. 
Don Newton, Steve Gerber, and others, whose names I will remember the moment this goes to press, who live and work too far from the home office for me to see regularly. All those hotel rooms, all those restaurant meals, all those rented cars, all those cab rides, all those carefully collected receipts for my expense vouchers. Talking comics with old friends Mike Friedrich of Star Reach and Des Skin, editor of Warrior, a top-notch British comic. Beating Marvel by a nose at the Comics Fun at the Comics Feud, a San Diego version of the Family Feud. They'd been after they'll be after us next year with blood in their eyes at a rematch. The projector breaking down at Philadelphia about two minutes into our film and Sal and me having to do 15 minutes of impromptu chatter and fielding questions from the audience while a new projector was found and set up. The unprecedented steak and eggs breakfast for attending pros given by the new guys on the block. Multimedia conventions at Philadelphia. Thanks, guys. The hotel at the aforementioned Multimedia Con in Philly. Brand new and beautiful. Talking to aspiring writers and artists as Sal Amendola and I looked at their portfolios. So many reminded me of myself some 30-odd years ago. Incidentally, we're being forced to temporarily shelve our talent search, our talent search for a time. We've been overwhelmed by samples mailed to us and folk who have talked to us and showed us samples at conventions. We're going to have to spend some time working closely with the talent that has surfaced and responding to all who have submitted samples. If you've thought of submitting... Please hang on for a while as we dig out. We'll give you the go-ahead in the column soon as it's all clear. Seeing and chatting with our comic distributors, all of whom I was lucky enough to meet at a meeting in the Warner's lot at L.A. earlier this year, and hearing the universally positive attitudes expressed by publishers, distributors, dealers, and fans about the future of comics in this country. Thank you, and good afternoon, Dick. That was a long one. Sounds like a fun convention tour, though, other than being sick for Houston. Anyway, I hope you all have a wonderful week, and I will see you next time with another episode of Charlie's GeekCast. This time, we're going to find out exactly what happened as a result of Superman apparently dying at the Big Bang, and and we're going to learn about those temples, too. So be here next time for If Superman Didn't Exist. I'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Charlie's GeekCast. Feedback for the show can be sent to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com or you can feel free to leave a comment at the show's posting at charliesgeekcast.com. All images and music heard on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. Charlie's GeekCast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by Two True Freaks to check out more great shows. Thank you again for listening, and good night. Thank you.